Thank you, Becky and Leanne. That was awesome. Stand with me, if you will, for the reading of God's Word. Be reading out of Philippians chapter 2. Oh, kids can be dismissed. Either that or Kim's doing some strange new dance back there. I'm not sure what it is. Kids can be dismissed to Children's Church. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. If you ever wonder what I read through, typically I use, I'll use many translations through a sermon, but typically my first passage I'll read out of the New American Standard Version, if you're ever wanting to know what version I'm reading from. Philippians 2, beginning in verse 5. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Lord, bless your word and multiply it in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Who, who considers himself an adventurer? I'm just curious. Raise your hand if you're an adventurer. Okay. Like three or four people. Honestly, I think most people have a little bit uh, of an adventurer in them. Uh, they, they, most people enjoy adventure. That, that's the appeal to, to most people of a, of a good movie, <laughs> of a good story. You know, we don't watch TV shows where somebody just sits in a chair all day and doesn't do anything, right? We watch adventure things. We watch, there's action, there's conflict, there's activity. You, you like to hear somebody tell a good story. So, so most of us have a little bit of an adventure. Maybe not like these pictures here, but, but we all have a little, you know, we don't all climb mountains, but, you know, we, we, it's an, there's an appeal to that. It's the appeal of a vacation to a different location. Who goes to the same place every year? I'm just curious. Uh, one or two, okay. Uh, who, who goes, likes going to different places, right? You know, a different location for a vacation, experience something new. It's the appeal of eating at a different, lo- eating at a different restaurant than, than typically. Who eats the same meal every day? I'm just curious. <laughs> now, Terry ate the same peanut butter and jelly sandwich for 12 years of school, right? All the way through school, packed the same lunch. Who else did that? Yeah, a few of you. But, but most of us like to go to different restaurants, to experience different things, to see different things. It's, it's the adventure of choosing a road you've never been down. Anybody ever drive down a road you've never, just to see what's at the other end? Now, my mom and dad, Bob and Wanda, this is a Bob and Wanda story. Uh, Bob and Wanda, on Sunday afternoons, you, you would hear a phrase like this coming home from church in the car every once in a while. Well, I wonder where that road goes. And you know what that meant? That meant we were going down that road. And so many Sunday afternoons, we were driving around. And I got to tell you, as a kid, with four other brothers and sisters in the vehicle, in the station wagon, in the back of the car, looking the wrong direction. That wasn't the funnest thing to see, okay? Because most of those roads were dirt, and mostly what I saw was gravel behind the car. But, but we made many of those turns, and, and I find that in myself. I like to take side roads and, and see where roads go. All of us, I believe, have a little bit of the adventure in us. All of us are appealed to Daniel Boone or or Davy Crockett, or Jeremiah Johnson. But, but sometimes life hems us in. You guys don't even know who Jeremiah Johnson is, do you? Life hems us in, the, the realities of life. You know what my real bucket list, list is? Well, I, I, I'm, I'm going to just confess something. Every time I see the moon in the sky, I think, man, it would be cool to go to the moon. But I think it's too late for me to be an astronaut, right? But my thing in my life was I always... 
in, in the last few years, I've had this appeal to climb every peak on every continent. Well, I did some research, and to climb Mount Everest cost up to $100,000 and takes six to eight weeks of your time. Guess what? I'm not climbing every peak on every continent. And Terry said, Terry said, <laughs> See, it depends on how much insurance I have on you. Oh, Lord, help us. Now, not enough. <laughs> I don't know. She might say 10,000 is enough. Now, if you're looking for a Christmas gift for your pastor, a peak of the month club, you know, you could, you could get that for me this Christmas. You know, life hems us in, and, and because of the restrictions of life, we, we, we don't always do all of the things that we'd like to do. We, the constraints of time. So, so when we're coming home from work, even if we want to turn down that side road, we don't always turn down that side road because we need to get home, we got things to do. So the constraints of life many times hems us in and we can't live this life of adventure that we'd like. Sometimes we're just tired and we don't feel like doing the things that we would like to do. You know, I think when we think about following Jesus... I think we need to think about it in a new way. Let me ask you, when you think about what it means to follow Jesus, do you think about restraint, boredom, cookie cutter? See, I think Jesus invites us to something more. Jesus is not playing it safe, but I believe Jesus calls us to this life of adventure. Following Jesus is not boring. Is that true? You know, following Jesus is not about restraint, it's about liberty. Following Jesus is not about being passive, it's about going. Following Jesus is not for the weak. Following Jesus is for those who place their strength fully under the control of God. Following Jesus isn't boring. As a matter of fact, in our vision statement, we deal with what it means to follow Jesus, and we have this, if you've not seen it, we have kind of a description of what it means to be ordinary people following Jesus And we wrote this, but following Jesus isn't ordinary. We believe that it is extraordinary. As ordinary people following Jesus, we see life and the world in a whole new way. Jesus compared it to being born again. It means that we're striving to have the mind of Christ. This is not always easy. In fact, we need our minds to be transformed, which only happens when we give our entire life to God and begin following Jesus. (laughs) See, following Jesus is not an invitation to the routine, an invitation to boredom. It's not about a life that's constrained or restricted. And i got to tell you, in a lot, of, a lot of time in my life, I saw following Jesus as this life of constraint, of boredom, boredom of doldom. But it's really experiencing life as God intended. Personally, And this is a personal testimony. This is my testimony. Can I tell you, as I have said yes to God, I have experienced life in a whole new way, and I've experienced life in ways that I wouldn't have otherwise. You think, oh, you know, being a lawyer would be an adventurous thing to do. Can I tell you, I've had more adventure in my life as a pastor than I ever did as a lawyer. And that includes even serving subpoenas to people that were murderers. Yeah, we'll talk about that later. See, following Jesus is an invitation to the extraordinary. Now, we're finishing our series on the 
the Holy Spirit, and we, we've attempted to answer the question, who is the Holy Spirit, and what is the work of the Holy Spirit? And today, we're going to talk about where will the Holy Spirit lead? Now, now, scripturally, there are some things that I can say about where the Holy Spirit will lead that I believe is true. I, I cannot say that the Spirit will lead you to the easiest life. I cannot say that the Spirit will lead us to the most comfortable life. I cannot say that the Spirit will lead you to the most predictable life. I cannot say that the Spirit will lead you to the quietest life. In fact, I can't even say that the Spirit will lead us by the authority of Scripture. I cannot say that the Spirit will lead us to a risk-free life. As a matter of fact, if you read the Gospel accounts, if you read the book of Acts, there is some danger, there is some risk in following Jesus. And so if you're not willing to follow God that far, it keeps you from being the disciple, the follower he's called you to be. See, there's some risk inherent in following God. But I will say this, following the Spirit leads us to a life of meaning and significance. Eternal significance. What you do will matter for not just here and now, but for eternity. You, know, you find this in the book of Acts. And Acts begins, Jesus says, wait, I want you to go to Jerusalem. I want you all to gather in one place, and I want you to wait. And there's about a 10-day period that they're waiting. Je- Jesus is resurrected on Passover, uh, Pentecost, or after Passover, the, the Sunday after Passover. And, and then Easter, uh, Pentecost is 50 days. The Feast of Pentecost is 50 days after Passover. It says after the res- resurrection, Jesus appeared to the disciples for 40 days. So there's about a 10-day period where they are in Jerusalem praying and waiting for God to do something new. Jesus says, wait, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. When Pentecost comes, you will receive power, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. And then the day of Pentecost comes, and, and, the, and God fills those early believers with the Holy Spirit, and the church is born, and this move of God is fresh, and it begins to spread to the ends of the earth. Can, can I point out something that's kind of interesting that you see in the book of Acts? After Pentecost, God moved as obedient people full of the Holy Spirit moved. Think about it. When God wanted to send a revival to Samaria, he he didn't send another Pentecost. He sent men and women full of the Holy Spirit. When God wanted revival in Antioch, he didn't send another Pentecost. He sent men and women full of the Holy Spirit. When God wanted revival in Ethiopia... He didn't send another Pentecost. Instead, he had Philip encounter a eunuch on the road to Ethiopian, Ethiopia, and, and God sent this Ethiopian eunuch full of the Holy Spirit to Ethiopia to begin a revival down there. When God wanted revival in Rome, he didn't send another Pentecost. He sent men and women full of the Holy Ghost, 
obedient to him, willing to partner with him, spirit-filled believers growing the kingdom in partnership with God. Now, now think about this. They're using these, this language, good news, and, and when, we think of, when we think gospel, we think, oh, well, that's, that's religious language, that's spiritual language, that's biblical language, but it's not its political language. Jesus is using the language of Rome. Rome used the language of good news, the gospel of Rome. And and when Rome would come into the area, it was the good news of the peace, the Pax Romana, the, the peace of Rome, that by their authority they could bring order and peace and roads and culture. And so they would say, here we are, it's the good news, it's the kingdom of Rome, it's the peace of Rome. And Jesus hijacked that language and said, no. Let me tell you about the kingdom of God. You know, it's not about subjected authority, but it's about the peace, the shalom, the the wholeness of God. And and that's the real good news. And so, really, the disciples began this anti-cultural revolution where, where Rome's saying it's the gospel of Rome, and they're saying, no, it's the gospel of the kingdom of God. And it doesn't come through power and it doesn't come through strength but it comes from a savior who is all power who submitted himself to a cross and died and he's inviting us to die as well spirit-filled believers obedient to the call of god spread the kingdom of god all over the world you will be my witnesses you're going to be able to give testimony to what I'm doing because I've done this in your life. So you're going to be able to go and just share this good news that, that through the power of Christ, relationships can be reconciled, relationship between me and my Heavenly Father, relationship with other people. That through, through the power of the Spirit, you, you can be a witness, an ambassador of what God is doing. But then I read that scripture again this week, and it hit me a little bit different. You know, we see the aspect of of witnesses sharing, right? You know, a witness gives testimony to. But I think there's a deeper meaning to this, and that God's saying, not only will you give testimony to, but you will be a witness. You will see this mighty move of God. I don't know if it's in the Bible or just in the Moses, the, the Ten Commandments movie, but in the Ten Commandments movie, I, I have this, this Charlton Heston saying, stand still and watch the move of God, right? I'm sure it's in the Bible somewhere. But I think there's a little bit of that ideal in this, that God's saying, why don't you open your eyes? Why don't you just go? go? Go to Samaria. Go to Antioch. Go on this road in the middle of nowhere. And why don't you just watch? Be a witness to this mighty move of God. Before we go any further in the service, can I tell you this morning that God is active out there? God is moving And I think one of the lessons of Acts 1a is he's inviting us. He's saying, I want you to know that that I am a missionary, active, going, saving, loving God. And in the darkest place of this world, I am at work. The darkness does not scare our God. Wherever things are 
darkest are God's working hardest. And I think part of this scripture is an invitation to get out of your comfort zones and begin to experience where God is at work. I don't know about you, that, that kind of makes me excited. <laughs> Uh, that, that's, that's, not, that's not passive. That, that's a little bit of a risk that God is breaking through all over this world. Now, I know our tendency is to watch the news and say everything's dark. Uh, light shines even brighter in the dark. And our God is still shining. The Holy Spirit helps us share and see what God has done, can do, and is doing. But, but we miss this when we become passive, when, when we refuse to go, when, when, when we're afraid to take risk, when, when we're too afraid to, to move, we miss what God is trying to do, and we miss the entire point. See, see we have this command to go, and, and oftentimes... We're not true to that, and we're waiting. We're waiting for God to do something, and, and, and we miss this creative, active God at work in our culture. See, I, I think sometimes we get this ideal that, um, okay, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait, and I'm going to pray. Nothing wrong with prayer, folks, okay? I just think we need to be praying going, not waiting, praying. And I think sometimes we're waiting for God, and I think what's happening is God is waiting for us. He said, didn't you hear? I said, go. I'm at work. Can't you just join me? This passive Christianity, this just waiting for God to do something. I don't see that in the book of Acts. They're they're prayerful, they're moving, but they're not waiting for another Pentecost because God has sent His Holy Spirit, and we believe the Holy Spirit indwells us, right? Right? What else can He do but fill us with His Spirit and send us on our mission? God is active, He's reaching, He's going. In fact, many refer to God as a missionary God. And we see this from the beginning. Adam and Eve sin in the garden. And uh, it's God who comes to them after the fall. You know, God doesn't wait for them to have a worship service and, and do sacrifice. But before Adam and Eve do anything, God is in the garden calling for them. So, so we see the threads. We see the beginning of this missionary God who comes where we are. And, and then the, the, the Old Testament is just a story of a missionary God. He sends prophets. He sends kings. He sends priests. He, he, sends, he sends a donkey. <laughs> Don't say anything, okay? But he speaks and he goes and he's missionary and he's active. As ordinary people following Jesus, we become missionaries. That is your call. That doesn't mean that you're going to go to a foreign land. Maybe God will call you that way. I don't know. I'm not saying he won't. But, but, but folks, whether we go to a foreign land, whether we go to a strange culture or not, we are called to be missionaries because Jesus was the first missionary. And we're following Jesus and Jesus gives us the way to go. It's not easy. It's not comfortable. It's not predictable. 
It's not a quiet life. It's not even risk-free. But can I tell you, the Bible never promised any of those things. Reggie McNeil wrote a book called The Present Future. He's, He's talking about current evangelism and And he says, what are we so afraid of out there? The Pharisees were afraid of becoming contaminated or unclean or losing their righteousness. I think we have some different fears. I think we're afraid of not knowing how to engage people in genuine conversation. I think we fear rejection. I think we don't know what to say. I think we are unsure of what we have to offer people. I think we're not that enthusiastic about being evangelistic because we feel that we don't have a compelling story. The power of the gospel is lost on church members who can sign off on doctrinal positions but have no story of personal transformation. Fear? Uh, Afraid that we can't engage in real conversations? Fear? Afraid that we don't really have a story to tell? Afraid that, that maybe this good news isn't that good after all? We still believe, right, that we have a treasure in clay, earthen vessels, We still believe that this is the greatest story ever told. We still believe this is the best news anybody could hear. In his book, McNeil then talks about how his wife was involved in a ministry group that that went to ground zero after 9-11, and they began to clean up. Now, there was all sorts of companies coming in doing this for a fee, but they did it as a ministry, and they did it for free. And so they had to go through all the security things and all the things you had to do. And then they'd come and just begin cleaning up people's homes and, and, and offices and do it in a free way. And, and, and it gave them this opportunity. People would be engaged and say, what, why are you doing this? And it was in the midst of this serving and this loving that they could share the love of Christ and show the love of Christ. McNeil wrote this after that. He says, that's what it's going to take to gain a hearing of the gospel in the streets in the 21st century. The smell of cleaning solution, dirty faces, obvious acts of servanthood. You want to become relevant? You want to engage somebody in a real way? Serve them. See, it's the example of Jesus. Jesus gave this great model of servanthood. It's in the midst of his servanthood, and he's he's becoming a slave for people, that Jesus could express what it meant for the Father to love them. I tell you, that's not ordinary, is it? That's, and I I love to use the word, sometimes we use the word holy. Holy is this other. And that's a good spiritual, scriptural word, and I love holy. But I think sometimes holy becomes so separate from us, we don't even understand what it means. It means extraordinary. It's not ordinary. God's not ordinary human. God is extraordinary. And he's called us to this extraordinary love. And he's called us to this extraordinary life. Not passive. Not weak. Not boring. We are called to the extraordinary. Be holy because I am holy. I'm like no other. You are called to be like no other. It's not easy, is it? But it's the story of the book of Acts. We have Peter, who's a fisherman. You know, Jesus called him. Peter could have said, well, you know, I like fishing. 
Who likes fishing? Raise your hand. Yeah, a few of you. But God, Jesus said, no, there's, there's more for you, Peter, than living in Galilee and having a fishing boat and having a small business. I've got this extraordinary life mapped out from you. From, from Judea to Rome. And you're going to meet people and you're going to, to lift my name and you're going to share the gospel and, and you're going to live a life because of the call that's far beyond the ordinary. You know, maybe God's not going to call you to martyrdom and hopefully none of us can be called to martyrdom and God's not going to call you maybe out of your city, maybe not even out of Marysville, but, but I still believe God can call you to an extraordinary life even in the midst of this. May not be easy. It's not going to be risk free. It may not be comfortable. God's going to lead us out of our comfort zones, but He's leading us beyond the ordinary to the extraordinary. Now, who's a LeBron James fan? I'm just curious. Three of you? Who can't stand him? Okay. Who doesn't even know who he is? Okay. <laughs> when LeBron James first began playing for the Cavaliers, I think it was his rookie season, Nike came out with that, that ad campaign. What, what did it say? Anybody remember? Not just do it. That's, that's Nike. Witness, right? He was King James. And so you see these shirts that say witness. And we went to a Cavaliers game really early on in his career. And so I've still got a shirt that says witness. And every once in a while I'll wear it on an airplane or something. And somebody will think it's a, an evangelistic shirt. But it's just a Nike shirt that I bought. Okay? It says witness. You know, the whole idea was witness what LeBron's doing. Let me ask you, will, will you be a witness this week? And, and NBA's not on, so you can't be a witness to LeBron James. All right? But will you be a witness for God? Now, now I think when I say that, maybe you're, you're thinking already, well, okay, he wants me to share. Can I tell you, it doesn't begin with sharing. It begins with seeing. I was talking to our, our local evangelist, Nelson Purdue, after service, and talking about this whole concept of, uh, of being a witness and seeing what God's doing. And, and Nelson said, you know, it's interesting. It says be. So, so, so we focus on this doing, and, and there's this whole idea of being before we're doing. <laughs> that, that before Peter or Paul had a, a vision or began moving, they had a vision of what God was doing. And, and I think that's true, that, that, that somehow in the midst of this, we need to be seeing what God is doing before we start trying to do anything ourselves. So you, you ever... You ever be doing something, doing a project, and, and somebody comes in and starts helping you, and they don't know what you're doing, and they mess everything up, right? <laughs> don't look at your wife or husband when I said that. You know, I think that's the case with God. God. We believe God's active, right? And God's at work. And when we dive into these circumstances without seeing what God's doing first, sometimes I think we do more harm than we do help. Leonard Sweet wrote a book called Nudge, and he said, evangelism 
is awakening each other to the God who's already there. In other words, based on this, we, we have this doctrine of prevenient grace that said God that says that God is one step ahead, that, that as God is calling us before we even begin to hear him. God is at work before we see him. And so in, in, in the dark places in the world, in the, in, in the places that, that are shadowy in our world, God is at work already. And so Sweet's proposition is that the first thing we need to do is wake up to the God who is one step ahead, the God who is at work, to begin to listen for him. How do you do that? Conversations. See, see, this isn't an invitation. And and what we're talking about here is is not, okay, let's get some billboards and some bullhorns and stand on some street corners and, and build some big signs and, and, and begin screaming things at people as they drive by you in your car. Maybe somebody will get saved by that. I don't know. I'm not going to judge somebody else's motivations. But God's not calling me to that. But I do believe God's calling me to real conversations with real people who may not be expressing faith in their life right now. Say, so what's that mean, Pastor? Well, you have friends and you have neighbors. that You need to begin a genuine dialogue conversation with. Not, not a script, but begin to listen to what they're saying and to what God is already doing in their lives. You know what I've been surprised at in my life? I, I encounter a lot of people that aren't people of faith. But what I see in most people's lives is God is at work in their life, even if they can't express it. And so this is an invitation to to maybe have a real, maybe invite a neighbor over for a cup of coffee and just have a real conversation about life. Man, that takes time, doesn't it? That takes investment. That's kind of risky. They may say, get lost, mow your yard better or something, you know? We're a closed service with communion. And communion is an interesting thing. I, I love communion. Yeah, Amy, you can come start playing if you want. Is Hudson here for the first time? Stand and show us, Hudson. Aww. That's a good-looking baby. Looks just like his mom. All of us men say thank you for our wives. Communion is this awesome sacrament that we celebrate in the church. And I want you to understand, before we do anything, I didn't invent communion. This wasn't my ideal. It wasn't the Nazarene church's ideal. It wasn't any church's ideal. Jesus inaugurated communion. Jesus does a couple real interesting things. He says, where two or three are gathered in my name, I will be in the midst. So, so I've always kind of taken that scripture saying, you know, if you, you have somebody that is a believer, that the Holy Spirit dwells them, fully indwells them, you know, in the midst of conversation, Christ is present. Every conversation you have this week can be a holy conversation. And then he inaugurates this meal. And you know, it's kind of weird to us. We don't eat like this. We don't dip in a cup. But, but Jesus didn't inaugurate some strange meal. It was wine and we used juice. Everybody say amen. You're glad we used juice. But it was wine and bread. 
the staples of the day. It was a Big Mac and a Coke. Something ordinary. Jesus said, you know, when you gather around the bread and the wine, I want you to know that I'm going to be in the midst. And so we do this here, but, but I don't think this is the point. I think this is training. This is to help us recognize something more at work in the significant relationships of our life. That, that somehow you're going to go home and you're going to have this time of eating or sitting with your family. You know, life, 90% of life is running, right? But then you have those moments where you have real conversation. And, and the tables generally where that happens. And I think Jesus is saying, I want you to be trained. So when you sit down in the midst of these real relationships to realize that I'm right there in the middle. That's evangelism. It's not a tract. It's not a script. It's real conversations about real issues with real people. Taking them deeper. Realizing that God is present in the midst. So we'll receive communion. I'm going to pray with you. And you know, we need to make sure our hearts ready for him. Our hearts are, are right before him. But then as you receive it, I want you to remember that this isn't the end. This is just the beginning. That, that this is something that trains us for the real relationships of life. Lord, help us right now. I, I sense your presence so powerfully in this room. You are here in this place. And Lord, it's, sometimes it's, it's a bit overwhelming to me that, that you give me this opportunity, you give me this, this responsibility of presenting your word. It's bigger than me. And Lord, I'll acknowledge that I need your Holy Spirit to, to work through my words and my message and make it applicable and real. Lord, may we never be people who just go through the religious motion. But Lord, give us a heart that is attentive to your presence. And not just in a service like this when you know everything's done in such a way. There's music and scripture and we're directing everybody's attention to you. But Lord, may this be real in the conversations we have today with our family because I think it makes an eternal difference. Lord, may, may your presence become so real that every time we sit down and talk to someone, it's like you're sitting right beside us. Help us to hear. Help us to see. And Lord, as we hear and we see, may we be witnesses to the God of love who is at work and active in our world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Stand with me, Will. We'll dismiss from the rear to receive communion, and uh, you'll dip and eat, and you can eat as, you, as you're moving back to the, uh, your seats, and then I'll close this in prayer when we're done. Stand with me, if you will. One of my favorite scenes of any movie, and To Kill a Mockingbird, scouts sitting in the balcony and all the African-American folks stand 
when her dad goes under and they say, Scout, stand, your dad's passing. <laughs> your father's here. And he's worthy of standing for. But here's the good news. When you go out there, those doors, his love still surrounds you. As real as his presence is in this place, he is real there as well. Lord, bless us, keep us, guide us, and may we be your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless.